you from the world of AV programming and control with James King. I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. Hey, James, it's great to be back with you. I know we had a guest uh, last time, which we'll recap a bit, but I'm glad we get a chance for, to chat one-on-one -on -one this time. As always, it's great to catch up with you, Steve, and uh, it's great having guests on here, but also just catching up, like you said, is always a good one for us as well. So if you guys missed it, the last two episodes are really special, actually. We got a chance to speak with Joe Way, and uh, he talked with us a little bit about HETMA, um, which, if you don't know, is the Higher Ed Technology Managers Alliance. And we also got to talk a little bit about managing uh, programmers from a non-technical standpoint. So two fascinating episodes, and I know that Joe will uh, be able to appreciate some feedback if you reach out to him. So uh, please check those out. Um, moving on to today's topic, um, we need to talk a little bit about what do we do when we need to adapt standards and adapt our designs or adapt the way we do things, because it's not always the case that you have all of the products that you need at your disposal. Perhaps something got discontinued, a new model came in, or something just doesn't meet your project schedule. And while standards are a good thing, we, we don't want them to be something that just locks you in where you are left in a standstill or with a, with a vacuum when you, you aren't able to get the specific products that you need and, and, um, and, and do the design just as you plan. So um, James, talk a little bit, I guess, from your standpoint about something that you think of or what, what would be the first step you would take when you are uh, faced with that type of a situation? Um, so the first step I would take is making sure that I'm in meeting to my standards as closely as I can, um, but that we are still flexible to handle any bumps that may come along. Um, so we might need to use spare equipment, which then does hurt us by not having the numbers of spares on the shelf as we would like, but at least it keeps our equipment the same. Um, or close enough to the same that we can uh, move forward. But even when that becomes difficult is trying to meet, find products that would give us the same outcome. Um, even if they are maybe a different manufacturer or different uh, size, like, you know, sometimes you're dealing with, uh, let's say like a DSP might be a, uh, your standard could be a four in four out DSP you might be able to get a eight by four this time. Yeah. You don't need all eight channels, but at least you can still do what you need to do. Uh, and then my third option would be evaluating new equipment. And the key word there is evaluating. You don't just roll it out into a production uh, without really testing and making sure it can meet your end goal. So I, I haven't been in the position to do design or to specify before we're you know, more always on the, the receiving end and we have to adapt to something that has been already decided or established. We're, we, we aren't uh, shy to uh, provide 
insight if somebody asks, but we usually get don't get the luxury of being able to design something or or make those choices. And and a lot of times what we talk to clients about is uh, from from a control standpoint, if you're using things that are of the same brand, a lot of times you don't have to reprogram a system. So that's one thing to, to think about. Sometimes you do, um, some, but, but it, you could get into a situation where you don't have to write a new module or change a driver or whatever that might be. Um, but, but on the, the flip side, um, kind of so, talking a, a little bit of what you said, um, you also have to worry about the performance uh, and and it, not every product of the same manufacturer is going to respond the same way. So, so there may be other considerations to think about um, what, what ever, that, that could be um, a function set, that could be a, a uh, response time, that, that could be um, ju- just simply um, timing. And uh, so it, it, it's, it's important to, to really think about all the implications. But I, you know, I think the first thing, as, as you mentioned too, performance and, and making sure that it's going to meet your needs um, from, from, a, from an application and a functionality standpoint seems to make sense. And, and then beyond that, looking at it from, from a control standpoint, which I, I don't know that uh, everybody really thinks, think, thinks about um, in, in the decision-making process. Uh, but I realize you you have that that insight, but but how often do you think that that's taken into consideration? Oh, um, it's definitely not taken into consideration. Um, it's definitely a unique, I would say, in my uh, vertical of being higher ed, being in-house programmer, um, one of the designers, and spec. So I get the luxury of designing the system, picking my equipment and coding to basically put it right in my wheelhouse. Um, so that is a benefit I get, but I agree. I don't think it's a uh, benefit that majority of our uh, listeners have. Um, is there something that we can do to help with that? So is it something that... Um... That, that, that would help to, to educate what what are the um, what, what are the implications because because I think so, sometimes it, it you look at substitutable products and they they just assume that that it's just going to go in and work fine but you, but we don't necessarily think of what else could could be uh, could cause an issue or or what impact it could have on programming and and one of the things too to think about and and uh, you know we we, we can kind of move into this a little bit further is if you have uh, a number of systems that are all done the same way, and now you have to change in a a select few of those systems, uh, how, how, how does that impact things? Because the, from a user standpoint, they don't necessarily care what product is on the other side. They want to, they want it to work and act the same. So, yeah. No, uh, like you said, they, the end user is not going to care if you're putting a Tron system in or a third-party system or, you know, Joe-in-the-box uh, type system in. They just want to come in, use the system, and have it work the way they feel it should work. Um, the, my suggestion would be 
this is where us programmers um, kind of tend to fall flat is, and we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot is we don't speak up. So when it comes down to us and saying, like, as you mentioned, you don't get to design or pick the gear. You're kind of giving a list and saying, all right, make it work, code it. The same thing is if our superiors come to us and go, okay, we're doing this, make it work. We're going to make it work. They don't see might, they may not see the struggles we go through making it work. So next time it happens, they don't even think twice. Oh, you know, Joe's going to get to work. He's programming. He knows what he's doing. Not realizing Joe might spend 24 hours instead of two minutes um, fixing the code. So that's where we need to still do our job of getting the systems working, but we need to speak and talk to our supervisors and say, hey, if we follow these standards, I can have this done in, say, 10 minutes where you're saving my the fee, my costs, all that stuff. Talk about money. Everyone knows money and how you can keep costs down or when you keep throwing these wrenches into uh, the equation, now you're tripling or quadrupling the cost of the project, not just with flat out cash, but time and resource. One of the things I didn't initially think about is you're also have to, you're also in the position to have to live with that piece of equipment that you've now put in like it or not. It, you, you can't just say, ah, oh, this was a bad idea and, and move on the, you know, the, Budgets are are set a certain way, and and there there really isn't a, a trade in value for a piece of equipment typically. So and and plus to having to go back and and um, and modify a system can can be a, a tall order, and unless there's a, a real dire need, I would imagine. I agree. Um, and again, what we need to do is show the value, and we can get down to the numbers. I even. Um, Today, I was listening to the A-plus um, podcast with um, Dan Farisi and um, Mark Coxon. And he was talking about just like, you know, in the standard days, um, conference rooms going down. You know, the conference room goes down. We move to the next one. Well, what if you have a client in that room who's looking to drop, let's just even use an arbitrary number, $10 million on a project. And that conference room goes down. Do you? You could be losing that client, even if you went to a different room. That's money out your pocket. Same with us in education. You look at it. Every student is paying a tuition to be in the room. If the equipment is not working, that's money that students going. I just blew. Let's say even if we do a thousand dollars a student per class because it's probably more than that. But you have thirty students. That's 30, well, 300,000, my math's a little uh, fake out here right now, but you know, that's a lot of money sitting. Yeah, that's $30,000, give or take, sitting in one classroom. And you, what, you want to get them up and move to another room, hoping that a room's open? So that's all money that the C-suite and middle management can see. It's tangible to them. And that's what we as programmers have to stress that saying, hey, we get this Joe Smo product, not knowing what it could do. 
we might be out not just the price of the product, but also $30,000 that the students just miss out on. And, and that's also uh, tacking on the fact that they're going to be embarrassed and that they may lose confidence in using that room in the future. Uh, that doesn't take a lot. And, and sometimes that may cause them to be uh, apprehensive to use any technology, depending on who they are. So it's uh, one, one bad experience can really make a big impact. Um, I think those are really good points. I, you know, it, as we wrap up, something that comes to mind for me would be trying to design systems with alternatives. So I know that consultants do this sometimes where they'll say, um, here's our design and these are substitutable brands when they do a bid spec. And and on some level that makes sense. I think the reason that they do it is because the winner of the bid may be more comfortable or proficient or be uh, a, a dealer of one product versus another. I think those days uh, to where there's more, where there's exclusivity probably have passed. But, but I, you know, but I do feel like some have more of a comfort level with one product or another. But, but being able to design systems that can have a mix that you can, uh, you, you have options, and and sometimes it's important to do that in different brands, you know, although I said before, you know, staying in the same brand can provide a lot of value, but if you, if you do things in different brands that give, gives you that flexibility, if needed to be able to not be, be left in a, in a bind, if, if um, something goes wrong or, you know, a, a manufacturer has difficulties being able to supply you with product. So I, I don't, I, uh, I just think it's something to consider and, and uh, it, it might be something that um, is talked about more often as, as we go through some times where, where, where we're having some, some product backlogs and, and um, equipment shortages. Well, 100%. Um, you got to be flexible, but I'm, I'm like you. I like to say within certain brands and our standards, but I don't like to box myself in um i'm always looking and evaluating products and that's where i think us programmers and uh really get a huge benefit from having a sandbox environment so yeah even if we don't have a supply chain issue or products are not being backlogged or uh, delayed take say you see a new product come out that piques your interest get it and test it throw into a sandbox environment, kick the tires because our centers should be able to still meet the goals, but be flexible enough that, uh, you know, we're being good financial stewards for our businesses. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. That way you're building a library of products that you can choose from and, uh, and, and you can confidently make, make choices if your first choice isn't available. So I think that's a good way for us to wrap it up today. Um, how can people get in touch with you and continue the conversation, learn more what you're up to? As always, you can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Twitter is uh, AV underscore James King. LinkedIn, James King. I don't use it much, but I'm starting to be a little more active on there. You can also uh, visit higheredav.com uh, where I write the monthly article IT and AV column. 
And for me, you can reach me on social media at Steve Greenblatt. And I do some writing on uh, my company blog at controlconcepts.net, um, AV Network, and um, I'm on a bit on a couple of different podcasts. Uh, one of them is AV Plus, as you mentioned uh, recently. And uh, I also do a state of control on the AV Nation uh, family of podcasts. So uh, please check those out. But most importantly, let us know that you're out there. Let us know that the this content is something that is valuable to you. Um, share an episode with a friend, leave us a review, and also just reach out and send us some questions. Because uh, as you know, this, this uh, podcast is based on uh, responding to programmers' needs and talking about what programmers do and informing the community um, of programmers. So please uh, feel free to reach out and you'll help us make this content be more applicable and keep the podcast moving strong into the future. With that, this has been Ask the Programmer.